Hear ye, hear ye, gentle nerds and readers of panels on paper. We have for thine ears an episode of great importance. Uh, Chris, are we going to do the episode? This story of hand-drawn images and narrative based on a legendary tale of good intent and lauded splendor is a hidden relic of sequential art. You're, you're doing like a town crier bit, is that it? Yeah, you want to do it too? Sure. What say you, governor? Hail, lest we delay any further. Let it begin. Huzzah! to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. And I'm Jeremy. <laughs> and today we're talking about Once and Future. Now, before we start, we should say that Lance, my normal co-host, is on Daddy Nerd Leave, as he and his wife just welcomed their lovely baby girl into the multiverse. So congrats, Jeremy Lance. So cute. So, hey, so to help me out this week, uh, welcome back, friend of the show and editor of the Geekly Grind, Jeremy Snow. Hello again. Hi, everybody. Good to, welcome good back. to see you all. EC, all of you again. Yes, yes. Of course. Um, we're, Jeremy and I are excited to do this episode because this is one that you mentioned. And as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, I got to check this out. It sounds like a cool premise. And oh, my gosh, this is such a cool comic. So Once in Future is an ongoing horror fantasy action series from Boom Studios, written by Karen Gillan, art by Dan Mora, with colors by Tamra Bonvillain. Bonvillain? I'm going to say Bonvillain. Bonvillain? Which, bon which is French bon for good villain. Good villain. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's a bon villain. Bon chance. This kind of kind of what this story is about. Uh, this is a modern take on Arthurian legend with a twist. When a group of British nationalists perform a ritual to resurrect King Arthur, octogenarian Bridget McGuire, who is a retired monster hunter, and her grandson, Duncan, must try and stop Arthur before more creatures spring forth from legend. Bridget uh, warns that the legend of Arthur will return during Britain's darkest hours, but believes that the once powerful king will actually be the cause of it. So Duncan finds that his grand is not who he believed, and also revealing herself to be a retired monster hunter with weapons stashed throughout the countryside. And in this all discovery, Duncan himself has been groomed to play a part in the family business. At first, he plays an everyman type, bumbling and asking lots of questions, barely killing the creatures. His grand is like, oh, come on, boy, you know, and and then but after a while, he's kind of the moral compass to Bridget's reckless chaos. And as his monster fighting skills improved, so does his confidence. There's a lot of necromantic magic at play here. And uh, it's high fantasy, it's sword and sorcery, but it takes place in modern times. So without explaining how it all works, we get the idea that Arthur is essentially a lich, <laughs> able to resurrect and change others uh, to his will. It's it's There's a lot of lich action going on this year. You've got, you got uh, Vecna in, in Stranger Things. Yep. Um, you've got... You've got um, in a way like dr strange and multiverse of madness sort of yeah. like the the dead one sort of becomes a lich in a way like yeah. i mean he's he's a he's a wizard sorcerer dead person you know like at that at that point or at least that version of him is and yeah. uh and of course uh once in future which is 
still coming out um, with with new issues. But it's not all magic, as there are plenty of guns, swords, things that go boom, haha, and plenty of improvised weapons. And because there's no true Arthurian canon, Gillen plays it loose with all of the legend, even extending to other British literature as well, which we'll get to. It doesn't mean that you have to know the myth of Arthur to enjoy Once in Future, but if you do, it will certainly be cleverly enjoyable. This comic is labeled as a horror comic, but like similar boom comics, there's a lot of blood, violence, dark humor, adventure tension, and monster fantasy. The comic succeeds with some great characterization of of its main characters, playing with the concept of how stories can affect reality and the dangers of nationalism and xenophobia. Gillen himself said that the concept partly was inspired by the feelings of Britain before Brexit happened and the scary sentiment from Americans following the 45th president wanting to take their country back from those who are not quote unquote true Americans. So I'll let you kind of think about how, what that means, you know, when it was written a couple of years ago, I think this came out in 2019. Um, and you know, Brexit was kind of underway and, and, uh, and, you know, Trump had been president and, and uh, or he was president. And uh, yeah, so there's this whole like our country. And if you're not a true member of this country, we're going to kick you out. And that's kind and, of and, a sentiment yeah. there. Yeah. And, and the idea of a of a leader that they think will be their salvation when in reality, oh, gosh, uh, is is a harbinger of doom and yeah. uh, brings chaos and destruction and tragedy. <laughs> We're going to resurrect our leader. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, is- yeah. It's like, no, no, we don't want to no. <laughs> bring him back to life. Let him stay dead. <laughs> right. Like, like let that whole thing stay dead. That was, but there that was, was this- a terrible myth that we all lived through for four years. And let's- yeah. I mean, like, and, and, anyway, you know, anyway, we we're getting oddly yeah. political, so we're, let's let's move yeah. on. <laughs> let's move. Let's, well, we're get reset. Okay, characters, Jeremy. Let's talk about the characters, everybody. Okay, so we've got Bridget McGuire, uh, who is a retired supernatural monster hunter. Uh, if Buffy Summers was British and eighty years old, that's Bridget. Uh, she's sassy, unapologetic, and is all about the mission. Uh, very focused. Uh, this kick-ass granny likes guns, explosions, but can't really run like she used to. Those old hits—they don't—they don't move. They're not quite as pliable. Yeah, I love Bridget as a character. I mean, I think she—if Bridget wasn't in it, I would argue that this series would not be as fun as successful as it is because I, having this old sassy you know take no guff character (laughs) is just really fun and how she she's not the the mentor she's not the obi-wan character Uh, you know that a lot of stories like this would would use like oh i have to seek out the thing because duncan doesn't want to do this like he he's he's the reluctant hero and bridget is like we have to do this and i'm gonna do it but i can't do it i need you to do it and so it's this interesting dynamic um, that I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of fun. this is fun. Like, this is such a fun character. And the reason, I mean, yeah, and and the whole, I mean, the reason why she can't do it alone partly leads into you know really what Duncan's true identity is, what, right? And what like role, the what role, right? the role he yeah. plays? So Duncan McGuire is an academic rugby player. Uh, sounds like an oxymoron almost. Uh, who <laughs> finds out his whole life is a lie. He's secretly been groomed by his grandmother to fill the role of the knight 
Percival, which mm -hmm. if you're familiar with Arthurian lore, the very it's a key role within the round table um, that that Percival plays. One of, one of the original knights. Yeah, one of the one of the original ones. And then we have Rose, who's Duncan's date in the first episode, who's also a historian. Uh, don't forget to study history, kids. It's attractive. And later becomes the team's tether to the real world and monster oracle. Like Rose's role, like as they kind of dive deeper into these various legends and myths and and have to uh, kind of quell all these various threats. Um she does serve as like it says monster oracle. I just immediately think of like Oracle from like Batman, right? Like she's sort of right, like, right. you know, telling them what monsters they're going after, potential weaknesses, like helping them go after all these things. Yeah, she has a cool trick where she'll like throw a bunch of pins on a map of Britain and then the ones that stick uh, will automatically st it's kind of like rolling the bones, like the ones that stick up uh -huh. um, that will show like, oh, that's where. That's where the monster's going to yeah. be. Um, so there's some cool moments where yeah. that that happens. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Rose was sort of a plant. But um, but yeah, either way, the, <laughs> yeah. the sort of core core trio really it's it really is about Bridget to to your earlier point, Chris. I think you know the uh, you know Duncan's character in a way has been done many many times before. Right. Um, it's yeah. really the interplay between Bridget and Duncan that makes it really engaging uh, and really interesting. And then Duncan kind of evolves past the archetypes and the tropes of like the academic, like the Indiana Jones type. He kind of evolves past that by having all this banter with Bridget and, you know, kind of accepting his uh, fate and, you know, and in some cases rejecting yeah. certain elements of his fate. Right. So like there are just different ways that he evolves and then you get more interested in him as a character. Yeah. The, the relationship with Bridget and Duncan reminds me if if like Neo is Keanu Reeves, but then Morpheus was played by Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And it's like instead of Morpheus being super cool, he's just like, come on, man, yeah. pick up that stick. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember asking you to kill this vampire. Like it's just very, it's very it's very matter of fact about it. And that's a great that's a great just, apt description. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's I, uh, maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit. So we, we have to explain what what all these things mean when we say like these they're they're being groomed and everything so to do that why don't you introduce some of the villains or the other characters yes yes of course so we've got the primary villain uh, our main antagonist is king arthur so king arthur is uh who you imagine him to be the uh, classic uh, king of the britons he is now undead king of the who king of <laughs> i don't i didn't i didn't vote for you sorry and <laughs> help i'm being oppressed <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you don't vote for kings. How'd you become king? The, the lady of the lake. Okay, 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 sorry, I can go on. Um, so yeah, undead king. Um, and he has more kind of like lich properties, and now he's back to basically exact his will on this more modern era, um, kind of turning everything kind of upside down. At the same time, activating other creatures of myth and legend to kind of reinforce his rule uh mm -hmm. and expand his yeah. kingdom beyond even this reality to to other ones and other alternative timelines etc we have mary uh slash elaine who's duncan's real mother uh galahad uh who is mary's son who was groomed to be the perfect knight duncan's yep. stepbrother yep. and uh always compared against uh always jealous because <laughs> i mean yeah. when gal when galahad's a right. brother even if a stepbrother that's a kind of a high bar yeah 
so so Bridget is is Mary's mom, and then Mary had uh you know um Duncan, and then we find out that she also you know left and had this other son named and she basically made him yeah. into Galahad, who's like full on brainwash like I am Galahad yeah, I am. <laughs> and just I am the I perfect am the knight, and then we have Lancelot, yeah. who again is a, a very familiar character in Arthurian legend and Arthur's court. Such a cool design. For yeah, Lancelot, he's French, very sleek and very adventure driven. Uh, he loves he loves himself a, a good adventure, good time. Merlin. So Merlin, it's interesting because like when I was growing up, Merlin was from Sword in the Stone. So Merlin was yeah. Merlin bumbling, was a, <laughs> sort of bumbling, bumbling wizard, <laughs> like very, very fun, kind of grumpy with Archimedes, you know, that sort of thing. Or or the late nineties, he was like the young Merlin. Like remember that show on like sci-fi loved, or whatever? Like I that was a cool show. show. It was Sam Neill. Loved that show. Yeah. Um and actually I you you jumped the gun on that one for me because that that was I owned that on VHS. I like watched it multiple times. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember when they adapted to VHS that there were very key scenes that were missing from the original miniseries that I recorded. But anyways, oh. so oh. yes, Merlin long story short, always seemed to be a good guy for a long time. Right. But there have been many, many, many adaptations in recent years that have put Merlin in more of a negative light. Um, and this is one of those. So Merlin is is actually kind of characterized and depicted as more of a manipulative uh, character here. More, again, an antagonist wants to be part of Arthur's court again um, and is ultimately a mastermind. Uh, among the undead court, among the among the folks near Arthur, that's kind of um, driving uh, this whole thing. Um, we also have Beowulf, Grendel, and Grendel's mother, uh, who are a distraction, yeah. but still fun to see. Kind of like how they play out. Again, it's another kind of twist on broader legend. Um, and then there are tons of different monsters and undead knights. Uh, and we have uh, the Green Knight as well, who plays a pretty uh, key role in it as well. We won't dig into all that because that's kind of like spoilery. Um, but Green Knight is definitely yeah. in there. And uh, shout out to Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, who... It was a not, not really seen character, but it's definitely him because... Like they're 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 looking to uh, play these different parts, you know, like assign these different roles. And um, so Bors is a knight in King Arthur's court and they're looking at these different roles. And and uh, I think it's Merlin who's like, well, close enough, yeah. you know, and, and they and, and there's this great scene towards the end of the run uh, uh, that that we read the first 18 issues uh, where it it clearly shows um, the prime minister. It doesn't show his face, but it kind of like indicates like, hey, I'm talking. And then this and we're this is all spoilers. We're, we're going to talk spoilers here. So and then, uh, you know, Arthur comes out and just like rips his head off. <laughs> he's just and he's like holding it up like, ha ha, I'm the, you know, I'm yeah. the leader now. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> OK, uh-huh. um, he's like, I'm going to take care of this usurper of the crown who thinks he's in charge and everything so so let's so we've so you did a great job of of laying out all the characters but what does this mean we kind of mentioned like the there's these characters that are playing the parts and and this is interesting because when we talked about um uh die which is another comic that karen karen gillen did um 
it's it's also about these these characters that are playing the roles, playing the parts. And I almost feel like it, there's this nice allegory there. Like in this story, you know, they're bringing forth Arthur to fulfill the role, but there's all these other characters kind of according to legend that Bridget knows it's, they're going to have to play a role. So like, you know, she's, she's like, I'm going to groom Duncan to be the Percival, you know, like uh, the, the good knight. Uh, that's eventually going to fight, be able to fight Arthur. And then, you know, Mary, who plays the role of Elaine, and later when she's sort of cast out by Arthur, she's like, he's like, I don't need, I don't need an Elaine anymore. Um, She goes to, she gets sort of visited by Merlin. It's like the end of the first arc. And he's like, but I need a Nimue or Nimue. I don't know how to say her name, but it's a, a character that's also got like magical ties and she starts uh, sort of being a, a tether in the real world with, with Merlin, which is really interesting and like doing things kind of behind the scenes to get Merlin closer to, to Arthur, even though he, uh, she can't be. Um, and then of course, Galahad, you know, her son, she's like, always like, is he okay? And Galahad, uh, this kid, this guy Galahad is like, I'm going to be the perfect knight and I'm going to get the grail for you, Arthur, and it's going to be great. And it's, if he gets the grail and brings it back to Arthur, it's going to essentially um, bring this. Um, what do they call it? The other world where Arthur's living right now. And he kind of makes appearances and it's going to bring the other world into the real world. That's kind of like comes into the equivalent of the upside down. Yeah, makes everything messy. Yeah, it's like this. If the, if the Grail reaches Arthur by by Galahad's hand or somebody's hand, then everything is terrible. So, but Galahad gets like messed up, like his legs get chopped off. Like, he, and and Merlin comes in. He's like, I can fix him, and basically turns him into a centaur, which is so gross. Uh, it's like he's all yeah. It's 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 pretty rad in a yeah. gross kind of you know necromancer sort of way um and yeah and you mentioned lancelot um now it doesn't really show like lancelot just sort of shows up like like he's he's shown up it shows a flashback with mary uh who at that point is playing the role of guinevere i think and and because she this the, the legend is she's boiled in hot water and then um lancelot shows up to save her i think um, so it shows like she's, she was made to do that at a younger age. And then basically, um, that's the father of Galahad. Like that's how he showed up all of a sudden it's, it's, so it, it takes all these concepts of like the stories, but the stories are real. And then there's some supernatural kind of reconjuring elements to them, which is interesting. And then when it starts getting into Beowulf and Grendel, it's like, Whoa, it's not just Arthur. It's like all these legends are true. And, and, and they're they're coming to life, which which makes for a fun premise. But it's also kind of showing how th- these characters are, are um, you know, playing a part in the retelling. And they also have to kind of follow the, the storyline like like Merlin's like, well, eventually I know that Mary is going to betray me because Nimue or, or the Lady of the Lake, you know, is betrays him. So like they know what's going to happen according to legend but they have to play their part. So it's, it's interesting how it's, how it all kind of shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and well, I think we'll chat a little bit more about like 
the significance of like everyone playing their part because at the same time, Karen Gillan, like he's making a point of it, but it's not like, okay, I have this archetype and I have this like trajectory for everyone to follow. It's more like why it's important Mm -hmm. that they're following the script, like, and, and how it creates stories and like why stories are important. But, um, so, yeah. So yeah. Um, this is definitely, this is definitely a comic, uh, you know, we mentioned it's super violent. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of body torture. There's uh, violent deaths to the level of, you know, walking dead kind of like stuff being beheaded and blood and stuff going through people. And, and um, so it's not for kids. This is not uh, a kid in King Arthur's court like type of stuff. This is a adult horror take um, with some funny elements and things like that. And it's, it's, I mean, let's, let's face it. Th- there is going to be a Netflix version of this I would at hope some so. point. It's, pretty, it's um, pretty awesome. I think it's definitely an adult. So I, I think, and I think because Karen Gillan writes at a higher level, it's, it's a payoff for people that want to put in the work to do. Like you can read this more than once, which you can't say that about all comics. You can read this like you can go back. Like I'm going to do some research on Arthurian legend and go back and read it again and and catch different things the second time around. I think it, it's 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 that fun. So we've mentioned Kieran Gillen and and Dan Mora a couple times. So let's go into the archives. All right. So we've actually talked about uh, both of our creators. If you want to hear more about Kieran Gillen. Listen to our episode on the excellent comic series Die, um, which I think is coming to a an end soon, right? Um, it's uh, since we it's did that. It's done. Oh, it's done. It's done. Yeah, it's done. I, I haven't I issue, haven't read the ending yet. I, I'm, issue I'm, twenty. Oh, oh man, it's so good. I I, I can't <laughs> wait really to read good. it. So um, don't don't say any spoilers for that because I want to read it. But yeah, it's uh we we did an episode on Die. I think when the twelfth issue came out, and and you actually. Uh, was it you or Lance interviewed him? Yeah. Yeah. I had a chance to interview him at, um, I think at the time it was a WonderCon. Yeah. Uh, or, or it might have been Comic-Con 2019. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So had a chance to chat with him about Die and that was cool. Um, That's and, awesome. Yeah, the collected edition of Die, by the way, is coming out oh, okay. later this year. Right. So in a similar format. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then for more on Dan Mora, you can listen to our Klaus episode or Claus, uh, which is another fantastic comic that kind of takes a, a myth uh, and sort of spins it and makes it an adult <laughs> series. Very kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those are in se- season one. Dan Mora, if, if you're not familiar, is just one of the hottest comic illustrators. He's done a lot of stuff for Boom Studios. He did. So uh, I, I first was exposed to him working on the Boom version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was like, yeah, this is really cool. It's kind of fun. It's got a little bit of like Huberto Ramos style, little, little Wildstorm kind of style. Like, but I mean, it, it, he's just got like such a cool style. It's very dynamic. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's really, uh, really cool expressions. The, the Klaus stuff is great. And then with this, with this one, I think he just kind of jumps it even further. I was looking at different interviews and stuff when they were talking about once in future and uh, Dan Moore actually contacted Karen Gillan. and was like, I want to do something with you. Like he, he rich reached out to him and he was like, all right, I'll keep that in mind. And then eventually Karen Gillan had this idea for, for this and reached out to Dan Moore. He's like, Hey, how do you feel about doing um, 
like kind of a action horror kind of thing. And he's like, yeah. So, like, and that's, that's kind of, <laughs> so I think that's cool when creators reach out to each other. Cause sometimes it's the studio and sometimes, or sometimes it's like, Hey, we got to do this thing because it's a crossover or whatever, but it's, it's cool because this is more of a creator driven thing. So both of them are credited as creating it together, which I think is pretty neat. And obviously um, there's, other creators that have come along that the coloring in this, uh, done by Tamra bon, Bonvillain or Bonvillain, um, is, is fantastic. And it kind of an integral part in this. I mean, this is a color comic, but it's, there's some really cool stuff with the colors where when they go into the other world, it completely changes the look. And when, when you see these fantastic characters, it really pops out, you know, uh, the mood of, it makes it very horror. And obviously with all the blood, there's a lot of red and there's a lot of gross stuff and <laughs> things like that. So the colors are really essential to, uh, to, to this, to the art that, that Dan Mora does. So if you want to find out more about those, go listen to the other episode stuff. Oh, and then of course, Lance would, would kill me if I didn't say Dan Mora illustrate a lot of the Power Rangers comic, uh, Power Rangers covers and, and that's that's why he likes him. So shout out to you, Dan Mora, for doing Power Rangers. And, and um, I also it's kind of an odd shout out, but I don't I also want to call out the letterer at Duke. Oh, Shire, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, because thank you. He does some really cool stuff with the text bubbles in in like other world sequences. Yeah. Arthur, and- Arthur and Merlin in particular are, are very like this kind of green undead shaky font kind of stuff yeah, it's pretty cool. yeah it's it's really it's really cool the design and uh you know obviously tons of love for for kieran and dan but like hug your letterer everybody like yeah. give them some love too sometimes uh because they make it work with the dialogue and kieran can be very verbose um he's building <laughs> a very big you know he's very yeah. building a very big world and you know yeah. that sort of thing, and and the letterers, you know, help help make that happen, and, and it really they help break it up and, and make it readable and not cover the artwork. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the pathing and everything. It's really really important stuff, yep. and and I'm just I it stood out to me honestly more in this series than it has for a lot of other stuff that I've read. So I just that's true. To I'm glad you brought that up because initially I don't think he was mentioned, but then later on they they kind of brought him into the creative team. So that that's that's really good. The pull list, we're going to do the pull list for for Once in Future, and it's essentially go buy all of Once in Future, but because <laughs> it's a it's it's a, a series that you have. But there are if you don't. So what I will say is you can get this a couple different ways um, there. Probably the easiest way is there are collected um, volumes. They have about uh, six chapters or six issues um, per volume. And that also comes out, you know, shows um, different covers and things like that at the at the end. So the first one is was the original volume one, which is called uh, The King is Undead. And that is a 2020 best new series Eisner nominee. Uh, the first six issues was essentially a, a mini series, like it wasn't an ongoing series. It was just it was just like, hey, this is a six issue thing. And it kind of uh, in some ways kind of wraps up. Uh, by the end, when volume two comes out, there's a bit of a time jump and it's like now it's ongoing. Now it's now it's like stuff has happened, like like 
Duncan has has been hunting stuff, and it shows little snippets of like you know monsters that he's killed. It's like the zero to hero Hercules montage. Like, <laughs> so I kind of like that. That you know, it just it, it's it's sticking with the main storyline. It doesn't check. It's not just monster of the week, and it kind of shows that like he's de- he's definitely taken up the family business. And Rose has you know that in the time jump has fully embraced her role and just like yeah, I'm going to help out with you know what he's doing and everything. Yeah. So the first six issues is, is the volume one, the King is undead. So that's a good one. Uh, do you want to talk about the hardcover edition? Cause that's what you're drooling over a lot. <laughs> yeah. So there, there is a collected hardcover, like a deluxe edition of what's in future, which is, um, 18 amazing. Uh, it, yep. Yep. Um, and the deluxe edition, you can find it, um, on Amazon. Uh, right now it's actually on sale for $36. Oh man. Um, instead of $60. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> Lance has a copy. It is beautiful and large. He has a copy uh, of the, I, of the hardcover. Yeah, I think he, yeah, he ordered it and he said it's amazing and he wants to get more boom, uh, deluxe editions because of it. And that's why I'm really excited for the dive deluxe edition, nice. which is coming out nice. in the fall. So definitely pick it up. It's, it's got the, the full first arc, uh, issue 25, I think was the most recent one. And then it went on a hiatus. Yeah. So there were about seven books after the conclusion of the first major arc. And then it kind of, kind of uh, is paused, but they're not ended. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing. And I have the first couple of trades, but I want to get it collected in the deluxe for sure. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully it'll, it'll continue to, to run and and conclude because it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see this ongoing, but I can see how, I hope that it's not one of those things that, keeps going because it seems like there is a beginning middle and end to the story <laughs> like and i like that you know die is only like 20 issues and and you have these 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 stories that uh that have a short conclusion it doesn't have to be an ongoing forever series i think because when you have the the same writer and the same artist it's it's kind of nice to have that complete story right yeah um, no absolutely. absolutely i'm starting to like that so so that's uh so you can yeah that uh, look for the collect edition uh good tip on the amazon uh price if you're listening i i, I literally just ordered it <laughs> like right now you have, I was a, like, you I have a an amazon like can you put that on the site and and people can oh yeah yeah absolutely I'll, I'll put i'll put it up there so you guys can, can okay check out yeah, the right geekly it's, it's check out the geekly grind and and we will have a link to uh, to once in future hardcover edition, maybe volume one as well. So, um, moving on, well, we don't have a grail find, uh, other than, I guess one thing is you could say that you talked to Kieran Gillen, which is kind of fun, but maybe, maybe that, that kind of gives us a goal for, for a grail find, which is like, we're going to, you're going to get that deluxe edition. Oh, do you have something? Well, I don't have it anymore, oh. but I did have first print issue one you did uh, actually i did i did i had uh actually i think i had the first probably like five issues or something um a while back and Maybe then you sold it you know during during my during my churn of comics as i sold books to get new books and sold books to get new books um once in future was one of the ones where i was like ah, i'll get the trade um so <laughs> so yeah i did have it i probably at the time sold it for you know, like the first issue, maybe for like 30 or 40. Yeah. And now 
it sells for like 100, 150 plus, right? Yeah, so I like, think that the second you know, printing of it, which had a different cover, uh, is was going for like 200. Um, yeah, it, it, it's and it's when they announced the adaptation or the, when they announced the Netflix deal for Boom Studios, and since Once mm-hmm. the Future is one of the most popular issues and series, it's like. All right, that's uh, that that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a thing. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so that brings us to adaptations. That's actually a good transition. There is no adaptations once future, but because Netflix has a deal with Boom Studios, and uh, it's highly rumored and probable that that there will be some sort of adaptation of Once in Future. But with Netflix sort of having some ups and downs this year, like who knows. But I do want to shout out like some previous cool Arthurian myth adaptations in the past that are fun. If you just want to learn more about uh, Arthur and see some some different things, like you mentioned Sword in the Stone for Merlin, and we talked about Merlin. Um, I, I, I have to say, you know, like we we made a joke with Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a great version of Arthur. That's kind of how I learned a lot of fun you know, jokes about, yeah. I mean, I actually learned about Arthurian myth from watching uh, Monty Python because I learned about some of these other, you know, other knights like Galahad and, and stuff like that. Like I knew about Lancelot, of course, from, and um, Arthur and Merlin, but it was, but, but you know, that, that movie was like, oh, there were the other knights and I didn't know their names until I watched Holy Grail. Uh, there was a great movie in the early eighties uh, called Excalibur, and it's it's very sword and sorcery and kind of showy and stuff like that. And uh, it's kind of cheesy, but it's but it's a lot of fun um, in early in the early 80s. So if you haven't seen Caliber, The Green Knight is a recent movie that came out, um, which is fantastic. Uh, a oh, right? So good. I, I it's 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 sort of cerebral. Like, yeah, yeah. Some people watch it and they were like, blah, like they did not like it. I loved it. Yeah, I, I it liked amazing. it amazing. It it, so it's fun. definitely like kind of headspace. You know, it, it gets in your head a little bit and, and it's not straightforward. And like, I, I don't think like my wife wouldn't like it because it's it's not like what's going on here. But but I like stuff that they really take the art uh, to another level. Uh, there's also a classic movie, a classic musical called Camelot, which is always fun. Uh, I think it's Richard Burton. <laughs> there's also Merlin, which we talked about, the great show. And also I got I had to throw in the Fisher King because there is a character that acts as the Fisher King, who I think is Bridget's husband or lover. Or- yeah. I think so. That that there she yeah, he knows he knows. Uh, and he basically says like I'm I'm going to play the role of the Fisher King and then he you know, shoots himself. Um he's like you're not finding the where the location is. But the Fisher King is a movie in the late 80s with Robin Williams and uh Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams plays a homeless guy who believes he is the knight and is looking for the Fisher King to find the location of the Holy Grail, but it's, it's a, it just take taking, it's a Terry Gilliam film too. So that's, there's some fun stuff in there and it's funny and heart, heartwarming and things like that. So it takes the myth and does other things with it in modern times, but it's, it's just, you know, it kind of shows that this, this legend of Arthur and all the characters that are involved, there's so many different ways you can deconstruct it. And there's a reason that I think, you know, it's the first Avengers, essentially, like the uh, the, the Knights of the Ra- Round Table are kind of this first super group. I mean, unless right. you count like, I don't know, Jesus and the Disciples or something. But like it's it's yeah. they, they are they, they are these like these knights with like 
different symbols and different, like they had different missions and, and it's, it's kind of, I mean, there are different virtues, different, different virtues, virtues. Like not, not necessarily different, not necessarily like different powers, but they all overcome different like trials and yeah. obstacles in different ways. Right. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to kind of like break it down. I mean, essentially, it, yeah. it, it, I mean, you have, I mean, you had the Greek gods, you had like, it, it's not the first myth, but like in, in, it's probably the strongest or if not the most well-known myth in uh, Britain's history of of uh yeah. you know just this this tale of arthur and his knights of the round table and it's a it's a it's a romanticization of chivalry it's a romanticization of like structure and order and yeah you know all the things that kind of like throw those things off the rails right like you right. know <laughs> women get in the way right like you know uh yeah there's know, some uh, not as good things like, you know yeah yeah, but but still, like that's definitely kind of like at the core of it. Of it is like, okay, here here's what we want to potentially return to. It's this romanticization, and that goes back to, hey, we really want to bring Arthur back. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be grand if Arthur could just come back and lead us? Because you know he was a great king. Obviously, he knew what was right. going on. It's like, well, actually, maybe <laughs> it wouldn't be the best if we brought him back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that being said, I I have a a dream cast for. Uh, the, some of the characters for uh, once in the future. Great console. Um, <laughs> yeah, dream. Yeah, I have a Dreamcast. Um, I actually never had a Dreamcast, but so I would cast the the fantastic Dame Helen Mirren as uh, Bridget, um, who was who was in. The, she won an Oscar for the Queen. She was in Red. She's been in various things. Uh, just Helen Mirren is amazing, and I think you toss her her hair up a little bit, and she would make a feisty bridget i i I was gonna say i love that casting i wish we could go back in time like 15 years because i think maggie smith oh sure maggie smith would be be great maggie i think i maggie smith would be perfect i could just because like i just see her in downton with like all her like kind of cutting dialogue and if you just yeah. add like a sniper rifle and <laughs> you know like i could just totally see i mean yeah maggie smith see. would be good and i you know with a little cg who knows maybe yeah, maybe no, they can make it, it happen I, I i am i loathe i loathe the day when it comes i i don't even want to say it out loud but yeah but a little past her time i think like hook era uh hook era uh maggie hook era smith, maggie smith yeah she, yeah yeah she was wendy and hook um uh, so uh for for duncan slash percival uh i cast uh Dom- dominal gleason uh who pe- some people know from uh harry potter he was he was bill he was general hux in the new star wars uh sequels and he was in a great episode of black mirror probably one of my favorites um but he's a amazing actor he's got that red hair he's you know uh, uh british and and uh yeah he's just really really strong i think he would he would make for that everyman character and then rose i i cast uh simone ashley who is one of the main characters in uh bridgerton season two uh who i you know i watched because of my wife and uh it's a, it's a show and she's also in a sex education on netflix so she's already working for netflix and she's she's a of Indian descent, but British. So it kind of fits into that, um, that, that Rose role. Uh, of course, you know, with the, with the bad guy, you could have a lot of fun with voice acting. Uh, Arthur would be mostly CGI Merlin, you know, all these, all these knights and everything. Um, but you could, you could cast any, you know, British strong actor and just do the voice of, of like a, 
of a evil, you know, demonic lich Arthur kind of thing. You get somebody that that's got like a, a cool voice like that. And uh, any one of those people or just find some new people, like give them a chance. So uh, now it's time for what if. What, what if? if? Each issue we do what nerds do best, we share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. In this issue, we wanted to think about what if a different legend or myth became a villain. And because Once in Future takes place in modern times, we wanted to throw an extra spin and what era would this legend or myth take place in. So I'll go first. Uh, I, I would take the myth of Robin Hood kind of staying in the British myth uh, legend culture. Um, and there's there's even been, you know, like in one of the in some of the Robin Hood movies, like they they bring in like Arthur. They, you know, they kind of mention different different things like the legends and stuff. So um, it's not unheard of that they they could even like cross over. But so Robin Hood, I would place in the 1930s uh, America Great Depression of, in, around Chicago. And I would basically make Robin Hood the villain and his merry men would be the name of like an, a bunch of assassins for the mob that are killing the rich and like giving it to, to people. Um, and then it would take the place of um, the sheriff of Nottingham would be this cop who works in Chicago. And he's like trying with good heart, you know, but he, but he's trying to do everything by the book, like very Elliot Ness, but he, he has to learn that he has to do things bad in order to, in order to catch these guys, he has to break some rules, you know, and then he eventually like kind of gets a bad rap, but it's, but he's the one that's actually like doing the, doing the right thing. So it'd be the very like kind of procedural cop show, like with a bunch of murders and he's trying to stop all these outlaws like mobsters. So that, that's, that's the kind of show I would want to watch. I can and, see like uh, a total be, noir type Robin. Hood, yeah. Hard boiled yeah. sheriff. It'd be sheriff of Nottingham, but it would be about, it would be about Robin hood as a, as a bad guy. So, Nice. That's that's what I'm at. Uh, what what what's your what's your bad guy turned villain legend lore? I so I decided to go with Ichabod Crane. Um, so the the famous uh, sort of headless horseman uh, protagonist, nice. um, set in feudal Japan. Um, and so okay, okay. so the idea is that the headless horseman's actually like an oni, like a Japanese demon that Ichabod summons. Oh yeah. Nice. And is like he and he keeps summoning these onis and demons to go out and like conquer towns. So like and and he like plays the fool. So like he he's like, oh, I don't believe in all that stuff. Like he still plays like the like the kind so of he's the puppet master, but he doesn't yeah. let anybody on. He, he's like, oh, no, I'm afraid of them. <laughs> uh huh. And and like maybe he like he hires heroes that he sees as threats and sets them up for ambushes and like, you know, all this other stuff to like basically exert his control and influence over all these different things. And the Onis get, you know, souls and, you know, people to torture and do all that stuff with. And then he gets to basically keep control over them and be the evil mastermind. So that was sort of, is my, it like, uh, there's only one Oni or like, like there's only one headless horseman. No, he, he's, he can summon. Yeah. Like he can summon multiple. So like the headless uh -huh. horseman sort of like his first one, but then like, oh, okay. But, but by like, overrunning the town then he gets more power to then summon additional monsters to then expand his empire so it's sort of like a a, I gotcha. a, a ramping type of thing but the headless horseman would be like his initial like foray yeah into that yeah I, I, you know initially i was thinking i was like 
another legend is Dracula. And I was like, well, who's the big good guy of Dracula? I guess it's Van Helsing. Yeah. And I was trying to think of like, what's a, what would be a way to turn Van Helsing into the villain? Uh, and, and Dracula would be a sympathetic, <laughs> which I kind of has been done in like, you know, some versions anime of that dude in okay. anime sure manga. like helsing <laughs> right. like you need to read helsing because okay okay, okay. it's amazing like van helsing like basically it's like his family like and and the, mm-hmm. the woman in charge of like that family now is not necessarily like she's kind of like an antagonist so oh it's mm-hmm. brilliant it's so brilliant okay um, but yeah all right you sold good me stuff. good stuff yeah so all right well <laughs> so we want to hear from you. What is a what is a classic legend that's traditionally a good guy that you would make a villain? And what era would it take place in? Let us know on our Twitter at CBKCast or hit us up on Instagram also at CBKCast. So it's time to close the book on Once and Future. So until next time, this is Chris. This is Jeremy. Reminding you to keep your friends close. And your comic books. <laughs>